Hi everyone, this is Ryan and Victoria Cole, and on today's episode we are talking about voter issues, specifically education. It's going to be an interesting conversation, so you want to stay tuned. Welcome to Needed Conversations. So glad that you've joined us. We are in the heat of election time in the United States of America. And uh, over the last several weeks, we've been discussing issues that should interest Christians and uh, really given direction from a biblical perspective as to how we should vote as believers. We know that we are not allegiant to one party. You know, we pledge allegiance to um, the kingdom of God. And so all of our issues stem from a, a moral perspective on life and um, every other group in the United States. Uh, um, seeks to have their values at the forefront of policies that are being created. And when they step into the ballot box, they are voting on those values. So we as Christians should not be treated any differently. Um, And we should let our voices be heard. Um, Victoria, what do you think? Yeah, I absolutely think that we as Christians really do need to get involved. Our voice needs to be heard in regards to these issues, because I think the church has really... has done this since the beginning of time. We have created hospitals. We have created educational systems. We mm-hmm. have we are really the ones kind of pushing uh, uh, things forward. And us as a collective, maybe one individual may not be able to accomplish much, but all of us collectively can accomplish great things. And this is why I think that God calls us to unity, you know, mm-hmm. even in our mind. So I think this is very important for us to talk through because it directly affects us. It directly affects our children. It defect, uh, directly affects our community. Um, so we need to keep, you know, our legislators and the people that we put in power accountable for what they say they're going to do. If they're speaking for us, we want to make sure exactly that they, they know where our positions are. So, I mean, to us, it, honestly, we are like the ones that are vetting them. Um, are they qualified for their job and are they going to be able to do what they're going to do? I think what we need to remember is that it's not resting on one person. I think the beauty of democracy, and that's one thing that fascinated me when I came to the United States, is that we have these processes that we go through, you know, the Senate, Mm -hmm. the House of Representatives, we have the president, but he's not the one that's you know, most people think that just because we put a person up there, he's the one that's going to be making the decisions, which is not really true. He's kind of the face, I would say. Um, but there's still, you know, certain things being pushed. And so I think that we have to really take responsibility of what's going on in our community and, you know, vote locally because those are the people that are going to represent um, us on a national level and are going to speak for us as well. Most people on social media, by and large, are being divided based on the personalities of these presidents. And um, that's really what's dividing everyone right now when we should be focused on the particular issues. You know, I'm going to be very honest. Um, At the end of this week and uh, last week, we had the presidential debates between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And I think the vast majority of Americans came out of that debate very discouraged um, we expected in, in some ways to be um, a little outlandish, even entertaining, but I think none of us anticipated, I guess, uh, what we would walk away feeling like, you know, and uh, really a sense of hopelessness. No matter where you fall politically, I think everyone agreed that that debate really did not reflect well on America as a whole. 
And I personally was discouraged. I, I remember the next day we took the kids to the park and uh, I was just down because I woke up to such division, uh, even more so on Facebook than ever before in social media. But also just looking around and feeling like we're getting lost in the weeds of um, politics and not really addressing issues. Um, there was very little policy talk last night, and it was more of, of a he said, she said, or a he said, he said in this kind of situation. You know, you lied about this. No, you lied about this. Well, where's the truth of it all? And even when it comes to media, no matter where you get your news from, it seems like that there is um, a misunderstanding of truth mm -hmm. in today's world. And to be honest, I wanted to walk away from this podcast, not as a whole, but stop what we were doing with addressing these issues. And I said, what is the point of it all? And the, the Lord had to remind me that, you know, by the time my children are grown, these two men will have done passed away and they will no longer be in political view. Um, there will be someone else vying for political power. And that's what happens every four years and every eight years if a president is reelected. And what really matters is that we are educating voters, and in our case, Christian voters, mm -hmm. on the deceptions that are out there, what is not being talked about, and how we should be voting from here on to the future. And me... Me too. I, I've been caught up in the spectacle of the presidential race. But when it comes down to it, us presenting these issues is what's really important. That, that this isn't something we're voting on one time, but every time voting season comes around, these issues are still at play as culture shifts, as society moves and progresses. These issues are still going to be with us and we're going to be confronted at every turn based on technology advancements, based on uh, innovations in society. We're in the fourth industrial revolution. So considering all these things, these issues are always going to be at the forefront. And so I, that's why I decided to continue on. Um, how do you feel about the debates? Let's just start there. I honestly don't really care for politics because I feel like that people can be, you know, used as puppets and... I remember even watching a documentary, um, it was um, Hillary Clinton, and of course it was all in the positive light, and I just wanted to, you know, hear her perspective and her campaign when she was running against Donald Trump. It but, was the Hulu documentary. Yeah, and Donald, um, not Donald Trump, her, her husband, um, Bill, Clinton. Bill Clinton was sitting there, and he was actually saying that there's a they. Maybe to most people, I guess I kind of hear what people say um, when they're having conversations. And to some, they may brush this off and think, like, that's not a big deal, you know. But he was saying that he was actually going to run for president early, and they called him and they said, if you run this term, that we're going to basically smear your name, we're going to drag you. And I'm like, there's a they. It's a machinery. It's a, a machinery. machinery. And yes. that's what we have to remember that, you know, even with the social media, there's dangers in us. You know, I think we, that we should voice our opinion, but I honestly don't think that social uh, sites are a place to uh, voice our political, you know, views because I feel like that 
it's almost like reading a text message, you know? I think that people read what they want to read and read it the way they want to read it. Mm -hmm. And so it comes across to some people offensive. They may not know your heart. They may not know the you personally. The tone of your voice, the aggression. And they, they kind of paint this picture. And so I feel like that, you know, that's why we wanted to use this platform because this is, you know, people that really want to hear what we have to say. They can um, hear it in our own voice that it's not just a and text. And they know our heart, you know. We media. know, they know that, you know, from our conversations in the past too, that, you know, we have a heart for family. We have the heart for community. And most importantly, we want to um, do what God has called us to do. You know, it's not our opinion. Um, and I'm sure, you know, as human beings, we make mistakes. We don't say that we know it all. But from our research and what we come to find, you know, we're just having conversations with people. And a lot of people are not aware of this kind of stuff, you know, because I think that most people are kind of like me where they get tired and they're like, mm -hmm. I'm just I'm exhausted because I'm, I got to be a mom. I got to work nine to five. You know, I'm trying to create a business. And then all of a sudden I have to think about all these politics stuff. Uh, don't we hire these people? to do their job. Um, and unfortunately, that's how it's supposed to be, but it directly affects our community. So therefore, we have to be involved, you know, in, in everyday aspect, because then it'll get to the point where it's like, well, you know, I don't like this, but you're those, the one those who are, voted for these kind of people. Those who are into in political power are, ser are civil servants. That mm -hmm. means that they are at the mercy of the American people. And w they work for us. They work for the collective, not just one of us, but all of us and from all walks of life. Um, and what Victoria was saying, it's not to, you know, condemn anyone for putting their political beliefs out there on social media. I love our freedom of speech and being able to express our political opinions. And I think that we should continue to do so. But I think adding to what she says, we should be cognizant of the line where we have become unproductive in our conversations. Knowing uh, when to turn the comments off on a post and just let your statement speak for itself. Or knowing when and when not to reply to someone's comments in, in your uh, social media. Well, social sites to me has become kind of a pacifier to me because it's, it's kind of a distraction in, in some sort of a way because I feel like that it, it, really detours us from actually creating change or doing something positive, just not just verbally saying it, but take personal responsibility. What For am sure. I doing? Am I knowledgeable enough about this thing? Maybe I need to do a little bit more digging. And that's what we've come to find. You know, every time that we dig about any of these topics, mm -hmm. just like we're talking about today, education, there's not like this one answer to it because there's so many different things that start coming up and it's like, well, how do I deal with this? Well, how do we deal with these kind of people? And how do we, you know, include these mm -hmm. type of people and these children? And, you know, what's the best way to educate our, our, our children and our next generation? So that's why I think it's important and to have to, these discussions. To pivot into that conversation about education, I think that part of our problem is that we get most of our information from social media mm -hmm. and from the internet. And we have lost um, just the ability to research and study and, and educate ourselves from a wide variety of resources. I know for me personally, from a political perspective, I like to listen to programs that I completely disagree with just because I want to know from where... Um, the other side's perspectives coming from. And in turn, it strengthens my own uh, beliefs 
And that's not just with politics. I do do it with a lot of different things. Theologically, socially, I'll listen out there. And then sometimes there is some adjustments that I make internally. But when it comes to the educational system as a whole, this is a big issue to tackle. Um, One that I think we're all confronted with in this COVID experience because Mm -hmm. so many people are now homeschooling their children and a lot of them not by choice. Um, There are states like California who are still closed down with their schools. And even when it comes to private education, they're vastly limiting um, what they're able to do, how often they're able to meet and in what numbers. Mm -hmm. And so that leaves the responsibility of education um, upon the parents. And in many cases, parents who both work or you have single parent households, um, this has become a very big struggle. Mm -hmm. And I fear... Um, how much our children are losing in this time. Thankfully enough, our children are still toddlers. So right now, Mila is just getting into the kindergarten curriculum. And we're able to do that at home because Victoria stays at home. I work from home. Uh, Victoria does some subjects during the day, and I help at night with um, biblical teaching as well as music with Mila. So we have those balances. And... um, uh, but And for us, we find that as a benefit because we think that education begins and ends at home. Mm-hmm. But there is a need, I think, for a public standard of education. And what that looks like um, in our country, it vacillates from one school to another. Um, and that's because right now all of our tax money within our community goes to fund those schools in our area. And uh, so the underfunded schools, those children are being um, left behind in so many ways. They're getting um, old curriculum, outdated textbooks, or, you know, uh, books that are falling apart. Each student aren't able to access books. You've got some schools where kids are using laptops and other schools where technology is an afterthought. And so there's this mass disparity, and I think it falls mainly among economic lines, but then also... Um, changing the educational standards, and then the concern about the indoctrination and the propaganda uh, that is happening within our school systems. Mm -hmm. All of those are issues that we as Christians should be concerned about. So what is the solution? Victoria, as as a mother, mothers are are oftentimes, especially if you're a stay-at-home mom, given that responsibility of education. And the vast majority of women, even in two-parent households, are the ones making the educational decisions for their children. Now, we're talking about primary education, elementary, middle school, high school. We're going to talk about college in just a minute um, and universities. Uh, What is your take on the educational system right now in the United States of America? What are the problems and what are your concerns as a mother and how can we fix them? Yeah, I, you know, just to prepare for this, I um, went on heritagefoundation.org and they do a lot of educational things, Um, you know, politics. They do have a lot of resources for uh, parents to educate their children. And there was um, one Zoom call that they did with several experts. Um, You know, several people have, you know, really worked to push, I guess, homeschooling and really empower parents to have the ability to uh, homeschool their children. And one thing that kind of came up is that our system actually kind of um, almost uh, tells the parent that you're not capable of teaching 
uh, your child. And I feel like that is so wrong on many levels because I feel like that, like you said, education really does start within our mm -hmm. home. I honestly don't think that the government um, should raise our children. You know, mm -hmm. I think that there should be a standard uh, way to educate our children. But the majority of the things you should be teaching them at home. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think homeschooling, you know, I think most people uh, or most parents are realizing that they can actually do it. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. I think it's a very hard transition for a lot of parents. Like you said, most of them have to work from home and then they have, you know, younger, older children that they have to constantly stay on top of, mm -hmm. make sure that they have the technology that they need, make sure that the internet is functioning properly. And I've even seen problems with public school having issues on figuring out how to bring these children back mm -hmm. because some people like in our state, I think they only go to school like once or twice a week. And then the rest of the time, the parent are supposed to you know, do virtual learning or they'll give them paperwork to do um, or assignments. So regardless of wherever your kid went to, whether it's homeschooling or public schooling, you know, I feel like that a lot of things has changed. But I think it's a great time because I think it's empowering parents to be able to take, you know, education mm -hmm. into their hands. I think it is a responsibility uh, for a parent to, uh, you know, teach our children because we, I think, know the individuality mm -hmm. of a student. You know, a teacher can get 20, 30 kids in a classroom and she'll teach it a standardized way. And, you know, you know, with me and you going to a public school that you've had some favorite teachers. And I think part of that favoritism came because we understood them better and we mm -hmm. actually succeeded in that class. Then or they taught in a way that, that our learning understand. style. Yeah, because some some kids learn, you know, uh, by traditional educational methods, and more or more students are kinesthetic, like they're hands on. Yeah. I'm they very want hands on. Yeah. So even when I went to college, or you know, I learned it was easier for me. Like, show me how to do it hands on. Then I understood the process, mm -hmm. um, and I was able to learn the book way. But if you try but, to push the book way, it was really hard for me to learn. But who want to understand that better than the parents? Yeah. And I think what you said was very important. The system is set up with a, a assumption. Mm -hmm. And that assumption is the parents don't know best, mm -hmm. that the government knows best. Right. And really when it comes to a more um, universal style education, which is our public, I mean, and by and large, the public education, by calling it public education, it's, it's a socialist kind of perspective on education. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, that's good, because, you know, for some people who are, um, are not in middle America, maybe they're in the po more po impoverished areas, or people who don't have the support of a spouse, it's easy just to know that there's a school in a couple of miles from my house, and I know for a fact that I can sign my child up and they're going to get some form of education while I go out and make money to, to have a survive on. Mm -hmm. um, but if, that, if the, the system worked like it was supposed to work, then you wouldn't have these statistics that say, you know, uh, children born um, out of wedlock or children who were not born in a two-parent household have like five times or in some cases 10 times higher likelihood 
of dropping out of high school Mm -hmm. and not completing their education Mm -hmm. or the number of of young men in particular who are illiterate, even graduating high school and unable to read um, beyond a second grade level or read at all. Mm -hmm. And so you have um, these these challenges that we face. And so we have to look and say for our country, what is the best option? By and large, the Democrats are pushing... um, you know, public education, there's not there's not favor towards charter schools. Um, and, you know, they they want to kind of normalize the educational system across the board from a federal level, uh, wherein now, you know, from state to state, there's particular guidelines. Um, the Republicans, on the other hand, are more locally minded. And what is the big talking point right now, at least from the Republican side, is this push for school choice with school vouchers. Mm -hmm. That means that it would place the choice back into the hands of the parent to be able to um, send their kids to uh, a school of their choice and be able to investigate which school maybe would cater to their child's learning style right. or that they feel is, you know, more progressive in, in terms of their educational methods or has a better reputation and that that money would follow the child wherever that child decided to go to school. Right. So um, what do you think about that? I mean, I'm for it. I'm definitely for it. I think the it should be in the parents' um, hands to decide uh, where their child goes, because I, again, I think that it's the responsibility of a parent to figure out, you know, their child's personality, maybe the, the way their child learns. Um, I feel like you're the, the person that actually knows your child. So you know exactly how they would respond. And, you know, even if children go to public schools, when they come home, you know, you're, you as a parent should recognize mm-hmm. signs, you know, of bullying or uh, they're struggling with the class and working hand in hand with the teacher, regardless of whatever you, you know, decide to do. And I know homeschooling is not for everybody. I I still don't know, you know, if we're going to do it or not. I started kind of creating a curriculum for Mila for preschool, but she's really asking to go to school. So I don't know, you know, what that's going to look like, but I would love to have that opportunity to be able to choose, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I don't think that it's it should be in the hands of the government for them to decide where my child should go based on where I live or, uh, you know, what my economic status is. Um, so yeah, that's what I... Yeah, I think that there's some pros and cons to that. And I think, um, you know, when dealing with charter schools, there's been a great reputation among charter schools of test scores and how these children are succeeding and moving on to find careers and going into higher learning. Mm-hmm. Um, you have magnet schools, you have public schools, or uh, and then you have private schools, which are more inclined to be religious in nature or whatever the case may be. There's some concern about uh, the public schools then becoming underfunded. Mm -hmm. And Victoria and I had this conversation this morning. Um, We don't, we shouldn't just look at education as, um, as something that will work for us, right? but something that will work for most. Mm -hmm. And by, by saying most, you also have to lump into that, a children who um, are underserved by their parents, children, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, children who do not get the attention that they need, who are being, um, 
you know, passed over, even in the public school system. And sometimes those public schools are barriers to help protect those children, Mm -hmm. you know, and to be able to spot signs, to be able to draw attention to children who are being abused or um, just left to their own. And so I definitely think there has to be a system in place that will help parents who do not have the kind of support you and I have to be able to make these decisions, to be able to come in counselors that are for the parents to say, you know, who is your child? How best do they learn? These are the options in your areas and these are the virtual options. Mm -hmm. Let's help you place your child in a specific school Mm -hmm. that will best serve their needs and let's find a way to get them there. And so those kind of... um, uh, jobs within that system would help those under underprivileged kids right. be able to uh, reach their uh, level of education, you know, on the same level of, as other children who may be more privileged. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Those kids definitely need to be included, um, you know, and I think that it's a responsibility of the community. But again, there has to be definitely a way for these parents to be accountable to you know, what these children are learning or if they are learning, because we, you know, talked about how public school has, was kind of like a vacation or a getaway for a lot of these children, especially now with COVID, um, you know, maybe they're stuck at home and maybe they're abused. So they are, you know, in the sense neglected. So there's definitely has to be a way to um, keep those parents accountable, but also help. I think some of these people are just they are in need of mentorship, and I think that's where, you know, the church steps in, the community steps in um, to really help parents that are struggling to, you know, love themselves, because that's what it kind of in turn comes down to. Like, if you can't take personal responsibility for yourself or love yourself, how can you love even your own children? And I think that's why we're seeing so many issues, even with domestic issues. Um, so I think it's definitely responsible something that the church can step up and do. Yeah. So um, I think that the school vouchers is a great choice. Mm. And I think that it limits discrimination. Yeah. You know, because there are so many, um, you know, schools where the vast majority of the children are, you know, people, uh, people of color, African-Americans. And so th- those children, in, by and large, are not getting the same kind of education as other children. So being able to, um, you know, even the playing field there limits, I think, discrimination, mm-hmm. um, ethnic discrimination, social discrimination, etc. But I think that there will have to be a reform in terms of private schools. There are some private schools that have restrictions on who they allow to come into their school Mm -hmm. and those can become discriminatory. Um, and I think that, um, that, that would have to be looked at and scrutinized a bit more. But it's the same thing with colleges though. It is, but it's not necessarily based on merit. That's one thing. But if it's based on, um, like Christian schools who would say you have to be Christian in order for your child to go here. Mm. Now, I don't think that I don't know why would anybody want to put their kid that, you know, doesn't have those values. I guess that wouldn't really make sense. I'm just saying. But then if there are underlying um, rules that are built in that would end up discriminating against kids who they deem as, and I'm not saying this would be religious schools, but just in general, children who they might deem as 
less intelligent or, mm-hmm. you know, based on whatever they base it on, their yeah. economic status or their the color of their skin or they view, you know, that family a certain way and I don't want to have to deal with that family, so let's not allow that child to come here. I think that those things would have to be addressed. Whenever you look at more of a socialized education, you can look at some of the Nordic countries. Norway in particular um, went from like the bottom of the list in terms of education in, in, the, in the world to like number one. And it was pretty astounding how they were able to turn. Now, there were a couple of reasons how they were able to do that. First off, they're highly homogenous ethnically which it means that it's easier for them them to get on the same page in terms of what is going to be taught, how it's going to be taught, and they don't have any of the other um, ethnic conflicts or social conflicts that we have in the United States of America because we are such a melting pot. So that's mm-hmm. something that they don't have to deal with. Secondly, they completely got rid of private schools. And the reason they did that was because they saw a disparity between the wealthy who were able to dump mounds of money into these private institutions. Their children were being educated in in better formats and in, in better ways than children whose parents couldn't afford something like that. So by eliminating the private education, it forced wealthy people, if they want their children to have a better education, then they had to basically dump money into the public system, mm-hmm. which is not a bad idea. Uh, thirdly, um, they decreased the hours of learning. Mm -hmm. And uh, as the children got older, they basically, um, limited the number of classes that were, um, stationary or like across the board, every student has to take these math, English, Mm -hmm. whatever. And as they progressed in their education, the, the number of classes that were by choice increased. So they were able to, uh, as students choose, these are my interests. This is, you know, what I what I want to pursue in my life. I love art, music, you know, mathematics, maybe maybe English, etc. And they were able to fashion the education based on that child's particular needs. And then they limited the number of of hours in school. They increased the number of recreational hours. So interaction with one another. And then put the responsibility back on the parents to then have their children socialize within um, their own communities, whether that be communities of faith, etc. And so that really gave each child uh, an, a level playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, they increased um, the pay for teachers, which I think is well needed in the United States. And they then also for teachers who had worked a certain period of time and were lifelong educators continually put paid for those educators to go back and get master's degrees and doctorate's degrees so that they continue to have the best of educators pouring into the next generation. All of those things are wonderful. There are many of the things that we can adopt. um, But I think you can kind of have a combination of the school choice as well as maybe even eliminating some or most of private education mm-hmm. and and putting that into the pot for for equal level playing field in terms of education and from a biblical perspective recognizing that the church is the educational institution of the kingdom 
So whether or not our child goes to a private school doesn't mean they they should not get educated on biblical things, right? So if we place it on, um, you know, sort of a public education to teach our 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 children the basics of skills, mathematics, reading, etc., and then we we take the responsibility as parents to teach them some of the more broader aspects of of social learning. Um, including faith, cultural things, music, other languages, then that will give our children a more nuanced educational experience instead of, you know, limiting their experience based on the resources within the school that is in their particular zip code, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I know that's a very complicated uh, a, a way of looking at it, but when, when, Looking at, and that's probably one of the reasons why it's not a big issue right now in politics, because there are pros and cons to both uh, plans from the Republican side and the Democrat side. Um, Joe Biden supports educators. I think he has um, kind of an advantage in the fact that his wife is actually an educator. Mm -hmm. And she says that, you know, when she's in office, that she still wants to continue to educate in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Now, President uh, Vice President Pence, his wife is, is the same. Well. She's a yeah. teacher. She's a cur- she's currently educating in the classroom. So so they are well invested in that. Um, Joe Biden says he wants to invest in resources for our schools so that students grow in, into physically and emotionally healthy adults and educators can focus on teaching. Uh, all of this sounds great. Ensuring that no child's future is determined by their zip code. Um, which for me, I don't understand why he wouldn't support, um, you know, v- school vouchers mm-hmm. um, and to provide every middle and high school student a path to a successful career and starting investing in our children at birth. All of these things are wonderful. Um, he's talking about an increase in pay for our educators. I think that um, that's, of course, wonderful. He's talking about investing in resources for our schools. Um, all of this is great, but what it comes down to is who is going to have the control. All of this sounds good. I could go to the Trump site and find similar things or the Republican sites and find similar things. But it comes down to who has control over how our children are educated and what they are educated. Mm -hmm. Because even now, we're seeing propaganda find its way into our school systems. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially when it comes to uh, issues of race and, um, you know, Black Lives Matter ideology and cultural race theory um, and teaching our children, yes, about the history of our country and also including in a lot of the uh, Black history that is left just to this one month and expanding that out and, and teaching our children such a broad perspective of American culture. But in in the same way, not indoctrinating them with um, beliefs that are conflicting with Christian values, mm-hmm. especially because we are Christians. Also, when it comes to sex education, uh, the ideas about gender, all of those have been conflated in the educational system. And it concerns me to send my child to a school where I won't have the say to, as to what they learn. Right. Teaching mathematics and English is one thing, but then moving into Gender studies, what gender studies beyond the idea of male and female? No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, so just laying that out, we've been talking about primary education 
any final thoughts there before we move on to higher learning? No, I think you pretty much covered it all. But I mean, we, you know, we don't have all the answers. And I think, again, from even from this conversation, we've been already talking like over 30 minutes. But you could tell how challenging, you know, addressing every single thing is. It's really not like a one size fit all. So yeah. we all need to come to the table, you know, those who are passionate about education and, you know, really... Um, have some innovative ideas. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're called to as a church as well. So um, what what our main challenge to all of you parents out there is take an interest in your child's education. Yeah. I look at so many countries, um, and Finland is one of those, that Finnish and I think Dutch are the two languages that they speak, and they all go into education knowing that if if you're expecting ever to succeed those two languages are not widely spoken across the globe you are going to have to learn a third and sometimes a fourth language mm -hmm. so they're also learning english and they're also learning spanish or french or mandarin and so um i think with in that regard too our children in the united states of america are very under underserved Mm -hmm. I think learning more languages opens up your mind to understanding more about other cultures. It takes us out of this box of Americanism um, where I think you can be proud to live in this country, but also stretching your mind beyond the four walls of this country and saying, you know, there are other wonderful cultures and they are making amazing contributions to the world as well and exposing your children to that. Our children are learning Russian now. They're being infused with that. It's 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 a struggle. <laughs> so um, before we jump off, I want to also jump in a little bit to higher education. Mm. And I went to school. I was at I went to Liberty University. I went to a charter school myself, and I went and I took some college credit courses on a, a university campus while I was in high school. That was a benefit for me. That's another reason why I support charter schools. Um, and also I did my learning virtually mm -hmm. and it was over the course of about six years, but I did earn, earn my bachelor's degree in uh, actually theology and I minored in business marketing. So, um, I do have student loans that I'm still paying off. Um, when it comes to higher education though, I, I felt a need to, to get my degree. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to be really, my parents did not go to school. I wanted to be the one to kind of break that in, in my family. Not that they haven't had amazing careers, but I just felt the need to set that example for my children to invest in education mm -hmm. in that regard. Um, but I also in the process learned how um, invaluable your work experience was. And for me, when I came out of high school, I said, I'm not going to college. And it took me about four or five years in getting that work experience before I went to college. And I think the benefit of that is when I went to school, it was out of my desire. So I paid more attention and I took the courses more seriously than I probably would have out, straight out of high school. Mm -hmm. In many ways, I was one of those students that learned the system and learned the teachers and knew what they want and was able to get by with good grades just based on that. But when I went to to school later on, I actually was getting into the knowledge and I was able to choose, you know, because most students, when they go to college, they take two to three years and even 
more longer than that to determine this is my major, this is what I want my career path to be. So I think that was an advantage for me. But I think the entire higher education system has changed. And I think in in large, it's collapsing inward on itself. Mm -hmm. Out of all the institutions that have innovated with technology, things that have become cheaper, looking just at our cell phones alone, how many items that we used to buy, calculators, cameras, um, you know, books, music, CDs, all of these move, all of this is packed into one thing and it's at a a relatively affordable price. Mm -hmm. You would have expected higher learning to have evolved in some way. Mm -hmm. But even looking at inflation rates, we pay up to 30% more than the previous generation did on tuition. You have more people in debt, more people who have been educated. We've been given this mentality that in order to succeed, you have to have a degree. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is it's not the truth. Mm -hmm. And so we, um, we are confronted now. We're at a crossroads of now there's people who are graduating school, 100,000 plus in debt, no job opportunities. And you've got other people who are succeeding as entrepreneurs or even in their field, um, and they they don't have the debt that others have. It's almost like millennials, and by and large, feel like that we've been sold a bag of goods. You have to get this degree in order to succeed. No, now you don't need it to succeed. So, you know, I, what I think would be really successful, and I think that. Um, like personally for our high school uh, that my my siblings went to, they had like this apprenticeship program that yeah, you start at so nine. Good. And what that helped a person do is uh, find what they're passionate about. And, uh, you know, they taught them hands-on. And I think at least they got out with some kind of certification mm-hmm. after high school to be able to start working um, instead of, you know, working fast foods or something that doesn't pay very much. You know, uh, I mean, my sister got a... Um, hairdressers certification from her school. She, of course, went for three years. But in the end, she ended up not paying for what now is like $30,000 program. Right. And so that was free. And then, you know, all she had to pay was state board exams. But she built a career on that. And I'm not saying that, you know, that higher education is not important. But I think that, uh, you know, helping our children think and helping our children to find themselves early on will really help uh, us to really, you know, uh, push them to do what they're passionate about. And then if they feel like that they want to, like you, you know, add to, you know, your knowledge, there should be some incentives at work, you know, to push people, just like you said, to pay for teachers to get a higher education, to, you know, pay for them to get their master's, because in, in return, they're going to invest it into our children. So... And also understanding that a lot of education doesn't teach people to think, like you said, yeah. at least on a critical level or on a investigative level, but really to repeat knowledge and information. And a lot of liberal universities are indoctrinating people with ideals that really don't benefit them in the long run. It just creates more social conflict. But that that's another a whole other episode. We can go into that. Here's my prediction about education, higher learning. I think that um, universities are going to close. There's going to be a resurgence of what is, uh, you know, micro education or micro credentials. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing that already online. So many people offering courses that are specifically geared towards graphic design or 
coding or um, even uh, edu- uh, engineering in some regards. And and getting these micro-credentials will enable you to uh, pursue careers without the mounding debt of, of yeah. university. I think that's uh, what a lot of young people are really nervous about. And I think that's what they're, you know, wanting. They're wanting the government to help pay, I guess, for their student mm-hmm. loans, which I don't blame them because it's, it's ridiculous. I think the that there that needs to, I think that we've been overcharged. And Bear, so uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't believe that edu- higher education should be free, like the free college, that whole ideal that's coming from the Democratic Party. I don't believe that. I think that if you pay for it, then you'll pay attention. Right. And so I do think that there needs to be a level of investment, but I think that we've been overcharged. So I think there needs to be an eradication of at least a portion of the student debt. And I think we need to confront these institutions like Ivy League universities or really any university. I read that Harvard University alone has endowments and financial coffers from what they've pulled in to pay for the education uh, of students for the next 30 years Mm. without charging anything. You're talking about uh, institutions that don't pay taxes, all of that which can be addressed. Uh, a lot of these micro-credentials are technically businesses and they are paying taxes. And so that's why you should support those also. So I'm talking about micro-education. I don't think children outside of the professions like medical doctors, lawyers, will go to traditional universities. I think... You're going to see a, a rise in the United States of America of apprenticeships, like you mm-hmm. talked about, hands-on works, electricians, plumbers, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, that will start in high schools. I think that's going to be vastly important, even in the fields of technology. I think pushing your children into STEM, uh, which is science, um, technology, engineering, mathematics, is going to be important. Um, Bishop T.D. Jakes started a foundation called STEAM where he added arts right in the middle of that. And there are mm-hmm. studies that prove that um, combining arts and mathematics is a winning equation to have your children succeed in both their career but also intellectually as a whole. Awesome. Uh, so I think that's great. But um, uh, when it comes to free education, I'm not for it. And I would be the one to say because, you know, Stu- we do have, we do have student, student debt, debt. Yeah. and we've got two children that we've got to send, yeah. send to school as well if they want to. Um, but I think they will definitely be educated. And right now we're empowering them to think and think for themselves and, and really investigate ideas when it's presented and not accept everything as on at face value as truth. Um, and so that's important skills that our children are going to ca- take into their educational journey. And also learning, understanding that we are lifelong learners, that a degree is just a degree. That Mm -hmm. means you have a degree of information. You only have a piece of the pie. We should continually be reading, continually be learning, continually be educating ourselves. Um, And that's going to enable us to have flexibility in our careers. We see people changing careers more often because there's more innovations. And I think that as technology increases, we have to stay on the cutting edge and we have mm-hmm. to be at the top of our game with, within whatever industry we've been assigned. And that takes a lot of work, mm-hmm. but we have to do it. It's a lifelong thing. So that's my predictions as well as if you're voting, I would not vote on um, free education. It's been proven. Uh, statistics will show. Um, community colleges do, do not lead to 
um, successful careers outside of apprenticeship programs like blue collar work. Um, and there's been school, there's been cities that have already adopted this and it just doesn't work. And really that's what the Democrat party is proposing is higher education for free, starting with community colleges. I think that education should be subsidized and I think it also should be, um, incentivized. And I think that those of us who have paid exorbitantly for our education, there should be some level of relief and, um, maybe a portion of that, those um, student loans taken care of as the next generation is already seeing the kind of the plight that a lot of millennials are enduring with the mounding student debt. And they're right off the bat saying, I'm not going to school. Or if mm-hmm. I am going to school or if I am getting an education, it's in this area. And finally, I think one of the things that Trump did recently was very important, which was signing into law the prioritization of experience and skill over simply having degrees. And now a lot of employers are not looking at which school you graduated from, but they're really looking at your track record. Um, Dr. Trim, our mentor, has said before, um, your vision is more important than your resume. And I think more and more employers are looking for individuals who are driven um, and that they envision uh, the change that this organization could benefit from and come to the table with solutions versus just looking at a person and saying, oh, check, 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 they graduated from this school, this school. Uh, they're going to be a great employee, which is not always the case. So Mm -hmm. anyway, so I hope that helped you out there when it comes to education. Victoria, any final words, any encouragement for people out there? If you're homeschooling, God bless you. (laughs) It's a lot of work. Um, I mean, I'm not really into it as, you know, as some people really rigid and routine, but Mm -hmm. you can do it. I think that if the Lord gave you your children, that he empowers you to be able to raise them in the way of the Lord, as the scripture says it. Um, And I think you as a parent have, uh, you know, the ability and everything that you need to succeed. Um, You can definitely reach out to, you know, your community, your church, if you're struggling or if you need help, especially in this time, I think mentally, it's, yes. a, it's a little bit of, of a challenge for a lot of us as parents because we have to take on education, but also being as a parent. And we know that whenever our children are not around a stranger, that it could be a little bit more difficult. But you got this, um, you know, wherever you are. Uh, we just really wanted to give you guys um, a little bit of an insight into our conversation, as you could tell from this lengthy conversation that there's just so much more to talk yeah. about. But that's what we wanted to talk to you guys about. And I will end with saying, how about we start a reading revolution and let's instill that within our children. Mm -hmm. Let's encourage our children to put away the technology. And, you know, with um, a changing of vocabulary and language in our society and changing of definitions of words, um, I'm encouraging people to buy again physical, tangible books, Mm -hmm. things that will not be able to be manipulated or changed by technology, by government. And that's not to put any fear out there, but I think it's going to be valuable in the days to come to be able to have a shelf full of books that your children can pick up and read. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm a proponent of that. Mm -hmm. I've written two books myself, working on some more. Um, You can find my books at ryancoleempowerment.com. But let's start a reading revolution. 
that's a needed conversation. Yeah. Hey, if you're on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button and hit the bell notification so you're updated whenever we go live. Mondays, it's Empowerment Mondays. You get this podcast plus a teaching from me. Uh, it's a biblical teaching. It's going to really empower your your day-to-day living. So make sure you subscribe. There's a ton of videos. One, in fact, that's being suggested to you right now. So why don't you click it and listen? We know it's going to encourage you. God bless.